earlier this year, I got a chance to uh, set a uh, a precedent with the church I planted called Forward Life, and we wanted to start the year off talking about faith. And we understand that at the beginning of the year, uh, most people focus on their fitness level. And I wanted to preach a sermon series called Fit Faith because we all know what physical fitness looks like, right? But I would ask if we were able to take a look at you spiritually, does your spiritual fitness match your physical fitness level? Because that's what's most important. And so in that, I came up with this thought. God gave me a thought on something. And if you were uh, to travel with me, I want to start here. I got two passages of scripture that I want to work with today. The first passage is in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9, verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. And then we'll travel to Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 15, and read verses 21 through 28. Is that fine? All right, we're going to start at Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And it says here, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not given to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Hmm, that's interesting. We'll move to Matthew's gospel, chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. And it says, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. For she cries after us. Now you know you got some dudes on your team with an ego when they insert themselves into what's going on when the woman was asking for Jesus. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord help me. Mm-mm-mm. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be unto you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Ecclesiastes suggests that the race does not go to the swim, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread, hold on to that, bread to the wise. 
Jesus told this poor woman that the bread he has is not for her. She's like, cool, Jesus, I didn't really come for your loaf, baby. Give me a crumb and I'll work this thing out. I want to speak from the topic of the low-carb loophole. Oh, I know it's crazy in a minute. It's going to get really ridiculous in a minute. The low-carb loophole. Let me pray real quick. Father God, I pray that I can articulate this thought the way you gave it to me. You give it so beautifully, but we are fragile, finite uh, vessels, and we can't always be the conduit that we need to be sometimes when we're able to speak your word. So I pray that whatever you gave to me, the thought you gave to me, that I'll be able to articulate it with clarity and that it'll touch somebody's life today and that it will inspire them and inform them to go forward in their faith in Jesus' name. Amen. The low-carb loophole. You know, I I had a pretty good week this week. It was a glorious week for me. Um, I was sharing with Brother Dee Dee yesterday um, that, uh, you know, I usually start my week off on Mondays and Tuesdays with fasting. And I will fast with uh, what I use as uh, cold press juices, organic juices, and I will drink those on Mondays and Tuesdays, and I won't have anything solid to eat until after six o'clock, and I'll close my day off with prayer. So I got through my week on Monday and Tuesday, and everything was fine, but when I got to the office on Wednesday, unbeknownst to me, my team had set up a spread in my honor. I celebrated a birthday last week, and I turned 43 years old. Don't I look good for 43? Oh, they pray my strength in the Lord, man. Black don't crack. Anyhow, I get to the office, and I find out that there's a spread set in my honor. They had donuts. They had bagels. They had kolaches. They had a, a nut and bunt cake. Anybody love nut and bunt cake in the house? Nut and bunt cake. And, and I just went into carb overload. I'll be honest with you. I had several donuts. I had a couple of kolaches. I had a couple of pieces of nut and bunt cake. I did squeeze a vegan salad in in there somewhere so it wasn't totally a waste of a day and a waste of time but once I went into that carb overload I went on the rest of the day and I just began to eat more and more carbs my God I've come to realize that there is glory on pie Mm -hmm. that there is glory on cake oh my god there is glory on biscuits I went on and the rest of the day I went to the centennial celebration uh, for the PCG and and, and we church man until about 10 o'clock every night and I know I don't have any business eating after 10 but I was hungry and so when I got home or when I headed home before I got home I stopped and I got me a whopper with cheese and some french fries I ate it man it was 
after 10 o'clock and it was rough on me. I, and then the next morning, man, I got to get my day started and I went to my favorite fast food place for breakfast, Chick-fil-A. Any other Chick-fil-A fans in the house? Chick-fil-A, man. How many of you love chicken minis? I love chicken minis, man. Chicken minis are wonderful. But my favorite Chick-fil-A breakfast food is the chicken and cheese biscuit. Oh, yes, there's some glory on that biscuit, man. I'm going to tell you because I went and got the chicken and cheese biscuit, and I love when I pull the biscuit apart and, and there's meat and cheese melted on one another, and I'm so greedy. I'll be honest with you. I'm so greedy. I eat the melted cheese on the wrapper. Oh, yeah, I ain't throwing nothing away, man. I, I grew up, man. It was hard. We don't throw food away in my house. I eat the melted cheese on the wrapper. And I've come to realize, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says, I mean, you know, the Bible says that wheat and tares grow together, right? So superfoods then are tears. I'm just going to be honest with you. Superfoods like asawanda and, and matcha and, and ganoderma, man, they are sent on assignment to kill my happiness. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to have a herb. I don't want to have a superfood or none of that. That is the devil. That is not godly. That ain't even holy. I'm telling you what's holy, man. What's holy is cinnamon rolls are holy. Pancakes are holy. Oh, Oh my God. Oh, French toast is a blessing from heaven. That's manna from heaven. I love all of that stuff, man. And I've just come to realize when did I become so carb conscious? When did we as a society become so carb conscious? And it hit me, Brother Harold, that it happened when the Atkins diet became a real thing. How many of y'all remember the Atkins diet? The Atkins diet. And, and, and I was a little leery of the Atkins diet at first because I didn't want to, I didn't just understand because I grew up in a situation where I was told uh, that uh, meat and bread will keep a grown man fed. So if you're telling me to get rid of bread and I love bread, I got a problem with it. But I couldn't argue against the results that other people were getting. So I did my research and I was just about to commit to the Atkins diet when Dr. Atkins died. And I found out that not only did Dr. Atkins get, die, but the reason why he died really deterred me from the diet he died for cardiomyopathy. Dr. Atkins, what's up with that, man? You, you died from eating too much meat? Man, I said, now I'm going to have me some carbs with my meat. Because I came to the realization that the, the, the carbs will absorb all the fat in the meat. And I'll live longer. And from that point, ladies and gentlemen... I began to understand that I love bread. Anybody love bread? I love pasta. Anybody love pasta? And I found out that McDonald's french fries is straight from the ovens of heaven. And so I committed myself to eating carbs all over again. And so here I am, and we all up in here looking like carb cousins. 
Speaking of bread, ladies and gentlemen, bread was a dietary staple in biblical culture. Watch this. So much so that it was the one thing that brought the haves and the have-nots together. You have to understand this. In some cases, it was a medium for exchange. In other cases, it was a social item where they discussed things over the table while they had bread. Business deals took place while breaking bread. People settled their differences over meals that included bread. But not only was it a part of the social table, it's also a part of the sacrificial offering system as well. For example, in Leviticus, we see that both the wave and the peace offering included bread. We see in the tabernacle that part of its furnishings involved a table of what? Showbread. And showbread in the Old Testament was the foretelling of the New Testament Christ. For in every time the priest ate of the bread, it spoke to his everlasting priesthood. Bread represented life and and what we have to understand is that when we study biblical history, it would suggest that bread gave a prophetic picture of long lasting sustenance in God. Yes, bread, the one thing that we are culturally conditioned to stay away from has a prominent place in biblical history. And I'll prove it to you, ladies and gentlemen, if we were a part of Jerusalem ISD. Here's what our our weekly lunch menu will look like, okay? On Monday, we would have fried locust tacos served with a flat shell, flatbread shell. (laughs) On Tuesdays, we would have had fatty calf burgers on a barley bun and everybody know Wednesday is the worst of lunch day on in public school history Wednesday was the worst day because what we would have had then is that we would have had roasted olive and onions with hand ground spelt bread to, to sop up the putrid blend of onion and olive juice pot liquor It would have got a little bit better on Thursday, though. On Thursday, we would have had cucumber, melon, and honey pot pie overlaid with a curry ground golden buttery crust. By Friday, Friday was my favorite lunch day, man. I used to get extra lunch tickets and skip the line several times. Uh, By Friday, we would have had barbecue quail, leeks, beans, and a mallet roll. Now, of course... All of these items come equipped with your choice of figs, pomegranates, grapes, and white or chocolate lamb's milk. (laughs) If we were in Jerusalem ISD, that's how we would have been eating. We would have ate pretty decent except for Wednesday. But that's the same place at every public school. Wednesday is the worst lunch day of the week, y'all. Can y'all agree with me? But here, they didn't prepare anything to eat 
without bread garnishing the table. And bread was such a major part of life that Solomon, when he penned Ecclesiastes 9 and 11, he used it as an example of intentionality towards purpose. Yes, bread, the delicacy of their culinary delight is used by Solomon to articulate something profound. He said, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. And I'm going to place an ellipsis there because how many of you have quoted, but to he who endures to the end. We've quoted that, haven't we? But we're wrong. The text does not say anything about enduring till the end. But what the text says here is, is that the text helps us to understand that we have to get over our struggle. See, sometimes we're in love with a struggle that so much that we insert struggle into everything that we do and everything that we encompass. Oh, we are struggle apologists. We love a good struggle. We love to act like we struggling we love to look like we're struggling we love to talk struggle we love to wallow in struggle we love to speak struggle we love to think struggle and because we are so in love with struggle we have inserted struggle into the text but I've looked at several versions of this particular text in several writings and it says nothing about enduring anything until the end oh as a matter of fact it is so focused on helping you to to understand that there is a principle and a strategy that's surrounded around bread. Here's what the text says. It says, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But watch this. Time and chance happens to them all. There's no struggle in that. Time and chance happen to them all. The profundity of truth that Solomon conveys here is the good that, that is good is that good things don't necessarily come to the person that's the most qualified. Mm. skill set is an almost always the foremost qualifier of a breakthrough it helps to have skill set it helps to have things that can help you get to the next level and help you get a breakthrough but they don't guarantee you anything and and what this communicates to us is just because you're less qualified it doesn't mean that you're out of the race that you can't finish the fight that you won't have a meaningful life that you're going to live in poverty that you're never going to have favor extended to you And it appears to me that what the scripture is saying here is, if you're at a disadvantage, you can still win with the right strategy. I'm going to tell you something that most preachers may not tell you, and you may want to write this down. Uh, are you ready for it? Don't just study scripture. Study strategy.
And can I tell you how there's so many well-meaning Christians out there who stand on scripture. They can quote scripture. They got scriptures all on their wall. They got scriptures tattooed on them. Oh, they got scriptures on everything written all over the place. Just scripture, scripture, scripture. So much scripture, it looks like a stigmata scene. Oh, scripture everywhere. And, but here's the problem. They got scripture but they don't embody anything that the scripture says. Can I tell you about a story once? I was preaching once. There was a sister there who was just writing, writing, writing. I was like, oh boy, she's getting a lot from what I'm saying. She's taking copious notes. (laughs) She's writing, writing, writing the whole time. I I preach, I finish preaching, I give the altar call, I pray, I prophesy, I lay hands on people. And afterwards, I'm drenched in sweat, man, because usually I don't like to sweat as bad as I used to do. But, man, when when I'm in some environments, man, they just pull the glory off of you, right? So I'm just drenched in sweat, and I'm tired. I sit in my seat. She walks up to me. Well, I kid you not, three pages of front and back scripture. And she said, God told me to tell you to add this to your devotional routine. I was like, okay, then. And I I took the pages. I looked front and back, three pages, front and back. And I was like, is she crazy? (laughs) First of all, I have a devotional routine. I got a wife. I got kids. I have a full-time job. I planted a church and I'm still working on that final chapter of my book that I need to go ahead and finish. I don't have time to read front and back three pages of scripture to my daily devotional routine. And then it hit me, Pastor Mylon. Everything she was asking me to do, I wonder if she's doing it. Because her life didn't bear much fruit. I'm not judging anybody, but she don't have a man. She don't have a car. I don't even know if she has her own place to live. I don't even know if she has a job. So why is it that you're asking me to add something to my life that ain't even working for you? And it hit me that Christians will ask things of you that they're not even displaying themselves. And so Solomon used bread as a point of reference for strategy to improve one's life. And I, can, I can't think of a better strategist in the New Testament than this Syrophoenician woman. <laughs> And the reason why she had to be strategic is because the thing that she was asking for, she was unqualified to receive. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Before I get into that, let me help you understand and set the scene up for you. And I'm going to get out your way because I'm boring you to death. You know, I got to say that at least three times. In my contract with God. He said, Tell them that. That'll keep them awake. That'll keep them focused. Jesus has just finished an argument and a lesson over nothing else but bread. Here it is. 
the Pharisees and the scribes of Jerusalem had just went to Jesus and questioned why is it that his disciples don't wash their hands before eating bread. And Jesus is like, listen, I understand your argument and I understand why you feel this way, but let me help you understand something. It doesn't make you unclean what goes into the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth that makes you unclean. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that it's not consumption that's the problem. It's your confession. (laughs) And because they don't wash their hands, it doesn't mean anything because the body has its own way of processing anything that's edible. However, on the other hand, what comes out of the mouth is what will determine whether or not you are qualified to do or to receive because what comes out of the mouth, my God, is determining the heart issue and it's the heart issue that determines whether or not a person is unqualified. Hold on to that thought because I'm going to put a bow on this thing and present this word to you as a gift and it's going to bless your life. So Jesus is tired of dealing with religious people. And the text says that he departed or withdrew from there to Tyree and Sidon. Now, I want you to understand something about Tyree and Sidon. Jesus, when he withdrew from arguing with religious people, he wasn't going there to Tyree and Sidon for ministry. Jesus was going there on vacation. He was tired of fighting with religious people. He said, look, I'm just going to take me a break and go over here to Tyree and Sidon. Here's why I say this. Because Tyree and Sidon, biblical history says that this was a region on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And these two cities were beautiful cities that people would retire to. So Jesus is on vacation. He got his sunglasses on, he got his flip-flops on, got his bathing suit, his beach towel, and he ready to chill out. Man, I'm through arguing with religious church folk. Jesus is taking a rest, and it's just like when anybody else is on vacation. One thing we don't want to do is we don't want to deal with the pestering locals, do we? I remember I took a a seven-day cruise, me and my wife and another close couple. uh, We took a a, a seven-day cruise, and we ported three cities. And I'm not going to name the city, but the first city we ported, we got off of the ship and crossed through the custom line. And uh, no soon as we crossed over on their soil, they began to beg. They kept trying to sell us stuff, kept trying to take us, take my trip on this excursion, buy this from me. And I was trying to get away from him. And one of the local police officers, he would stood him and say, get across the street. Y'all come over here with me. Get across the street. He would chase him across the street. But as soon as he left, they came back. 
And one of the guys got me. He got me, Pastor Mine. He took out these two trinkets. One was a, a male figure and the other one was a female figure. And he said, what's your initials? I said, my, my, gave him my initials. He said, what's your wife's initials? I gave him my wife's initials. He inscribed our initials on the trinkets and handed them to me. And I, he said, that's my gift to you. And I was going to walk off. He said, hold on, man. I can't sell them to nobody else if he got your initials on it. He got me. I gave him $20 and I ran. Got out of there, man. Went to the beach. But the one thing you don't want to deal with when you're on vacation is pestering people. And here's the problem with this text. Remember, Didi, I told you find some tension in the text and you'll have something to preach, right? Here's the problem in the text. Jesus is trying to save face in front of his disciples because he's about to do something that he told them not to do. Five chapters earlier, if you go and study, five chapters earlier, he told his disciples to not go in the way of the Gentile nation, but here he is vacationing where they at. Jesus, you tripping, man. He told them specifically, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But here he is in the place he prohibited them from going to. And they are watching him and they are like, Jesus, send her away, man. Because we're about to get these jet skis, bro, and go hit this water, man. Why, why are you still tripping with her, man? Send her away, man. We ain't even supposed to be dealing with her. You told us not to deal with her. What you going to do? So when Jesus said, I have been sent from the lost for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Jesus is in a pickle because he has to save face in front of his boys because he told them not to go and deal with those people. But then he go on vacation where they at. It don't make sense, man. It just makes, oh, it takes critical analysis to get this to understand, so you can understand this. And so this is what disqualified the woman for what she is asking for. She wasn't of the household of Israel, which was the parameter set around Jesus' ministry. However, this woman was a woman of strategy. Touch somebody and say strategy, strategy, strategy. You got to have a strategy if you're going to make it these days. You, you got to have a strategy. And the first thing I want you to notice about this woman's strategy is she understood Jesus's pattern. The text indicates that once Jesus arrived in the region, the woman came to him. Remember, he's not there for ministry and his disciples were not allowed to go there. So how did she even know who Jesus was? It would appear to me that Jesus had been there before. That's the only way she could have known how he was because he wasn't even dealing with those people. So he knew, she knew that he would be there and just like clockwork, his pattern led her right to where he would be. If you want to know how to get some strategy in your faith, if you want to know how to be where Jesus is, you've got to understand that you've got to strategize where the turn up is. You want to turn up with Jesus? Come to church. 
He'll be there. You want to turn up with Jesus? Go in prayer. He'll be there. If you really want to turn up with Jesus, uh, go and worship. He'll be there. See, the problem is, the reason why most of us can't get the victory that we need to get is because we go to the wrong turn up. I came to turn up, man. And when I turn up, I got to turn up where Jesus is, not where I want to be or where my flesh want to be or who I want to hang with or what I want to do or how I feel in the moment. No, I got to get into a real turn up session where Jesus is. And wherever he is, is where I want to be. And so you got to strategize your time to meet him. And the second thing I want you to notice about her strategy is she recognized protocol. She knows his pattern and then she recognized protocol. Here it is. When Jesus tried to ignore the woman and his boys was like, send her away. She fell at her feet at his feet and began to worship. Can I tell you something and still be your friend? If you ever want to get Jesus' attention, you got to learn to be a worshiper. Ah, he ain't paying attention to you, how cute you are. He ain't paying attention to how needy you are. He ain't paying attention to how bad you want it. He ain't paying attention to how you may feel. You got to learn to worship. You got to learn to get out of your comfort zone. You got to learn to stop being so cute. You got to learn to stop being so sedated. You got to learn to stop worrying about how your makeup look, how your outfit look. Oh no, you got to learn to worship. Worship him in the morning. Worship him in the noonday. Worship him at night. Let everything that have breath praise and worship the Lord. She knew protocol because she knew that he could, she could talk with him all day and he can ignore her just as much as she talked. But there's one thing that God cannot ignore. A worshiper. See, you can work on your negotiation skills, but you can't negotiate your way to the next level. Oh, you can work on your communication skills, but you can't communicate your way to the next level. Sometimes you don't even have enough to say. Sometimes you don't even know what to do. But I'm here to tell you that when you don't know what to do, just raise your hands and wrap back your head and say, Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy. on me here's the kicker ladies and gentlemen I've been looking at this whole thing wrong I thought Jesus was being derogatory when he said that it's not meat to give the children's bread to the dogs but when you understand that the word described the Greek word to describe her form of worship is proskenio which means to pander like a dog to its master. Proskenio. To pander like a dog 
would to its master. So when Jesus says it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he wasn't being derogatory. We've given Jesus a bad rep. He was just responding to how she was acting. He was like, girl, stop acting like a dog. It's not meat to give the children's bread to the dog. What are you doing? But she used this. Because she understood how he would respond. And when he responded with that question, he played right into her hands. The last thing I want you to notice is that this woman's strategy, she knew his policy. She knew what he would say and she understood how to get him to say it. My God, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And and when he said that, she started smiling because she found a loophole in his policy. Watch this. She says, yes, Lord, it's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. But Jesus, I want you to understand that even the dogs have to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And when she said that something broke loose in the situation when she said that she was like Jesus I know you're on vacation and you may not be watching your carbs but I've been watching mine and what I've discovered about my life and what I discovered about what I need is that I don't need what everyone else needs to make it I don't need what everyone else needs to feel secure I don't need what everyone else needs to feel like they coming up I can make it off of the crumbs so if you just give me one crumb I'll take your one crumb and I got the victory I'll take that crumb and I'll change my life I'll take that crumb and I'll go to the top I'll take that crumb and I'll go to the next level see some of y'all want the loaf I don't need the loaf baby just give me a crumb and I'll take that crumb and build a whole new situation for myself ah she found a loophole in Jesus's policy and I want you to understand that if you in a crummy situation you in the best situation because a crummy situation means breakthrough that was a loophole the low-carb loophole. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Let me help you understand something, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to get out of here. Hallelujah. See, it's not what we don't have. It's what we think we need. See, you can take the little bit, just a little bit, of what God has and turn the world upside down. Change your life, change your future, change your trajectory, change your purpose, get your mind focused, get sharper. Oh my God, off of the little bit. I've seen people who are living in the lap of luxury, but no power. I've seen people making it off a little bit. And the Holy Ghost is bouncing all off the wall, hitting the ceilings, 
slapping folk uh, <laughs> and filling folk. Powers moving, healings are taking place, tumors are falling off, cancer is being removed. Why? Because of the crumbs. You got to take the crumbs and do something with it. She was unqualified, but she knew how to get Jesus to say the right thing. And she knew that once he said it, she got him. Jesus said, oh, woman, I can't refuse you. Oh, woman, I can't turn you down now. Because you are working with what everyone else thought they need. See, the, 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 the scribes, the religious people were all about that bread. They had a whole system built on bread, the sacrificial system. Everything was about bread. It was a staple in their culture. Here comes a woman who's not of their culture and say, I don't need your bread, baby. Just give me a crumb. And I'll change my situation. 